Hey, 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 happy Wednesday to all my unfiltered conversation listeners. You are locked in with Lady Lotus. I thank you for tuning in on this awesome day. I hope you are in good space, good health, and great energy. So this conversation is very delicate, but it's a needed and necessary conversation. Because it ties into community, it ties into relationships, and, you know, there's questions, there's, you know, viewers, there's listeners, there's a little bit of everything. There's people who are against it, there are people who think it's not the normal, there are people who are afraid to share their story because they don't want to be judged, but at the end of the day, can't nobody fucking judge you but God. Now, on that note... Let's do a little housekeeping because you know around here, sometimes it can get a little rough. It can get a little emotional. Sometimes people get in their feelings and then, you know, they send me messages, but I don't care about your messages. I care about the message. You feel me? So if you are new to Unfiltered Conversations and you have an issue with cuss words, I need you to go several seats to the back. If you are okay with cuss words and there's no judgment, then come all the way to the point. Bring your ears close to your mic, to your headphones, and tune in to this conversation here. So we have a special guest who joined us. Her name is Aaliyah, and Aaliyah has her own story, and she came to share a little bit with us. She is currently in a prison relationship with her husband. And let me just give a little defining for prison relationship. It's simply you are in a relationship with someone who's in prison. We're not going to take it no further than that, okay? So we appreciate her for coming through. We appreciate all that she shared. And um, yeah, if you are someone who has a loved one who is in prison, whether you're in a relationship or not, whether it's a marriage or not, it's still a relationship. We're not going to get too deep into titles and roles, but if you just have a loved one and you feel like you want to share your story, you are welcome to come to Unfiltered Conversations and share your story. You know, one story can inspire somebody. You never know who's out there who has a singular story, who hasn't been able to share their story, but they want to share it. They want to find a safe space to talk about their experience and their journeys with having a loved one in prison. That's not an easy journey, you know. Um, you know, you guys, I've shared um, at different times. I have loved ones who are incarcerated, and it's not easy. Um it's not easy for the families. It's not easy for anybody, especially, you know, during these times when, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, where people are going through things financially. You know, the whole world is in an uproar on so many levels. I'm not saying that, um, you know, people are not making do and doing what they got to do, but it, the shit gets hard, okay? When you are a sole provider, you know what I mean? If you got children, I mean, if you don't got children, just taking care of yourself and taking care of bills. Hell, the rent is high as fuck these days. Everything is going up. Inflation. You know, they're talking about a damn near ill-ass recession. 
So this is a time where, you know, not only do you invest your money wisely, make your money, save your money, but um, also have a different plan. But when you have someone who is in prison and they may not be in a position to really help you or send money home and help you with bills, it can get a little rough. And I feel like, you know, there are compassionate people out here to people in prison. And then there are other people who be like, fuck them. They could die, burn under the bridge, burn under the prison. Yeah, you know, I've been there. I've had that attitude. You know what? No, I still have that attitude. But it, it really depends on the situation. I'm going to be transparent and keep it real. It depends on the situation. Because for me, um, you know, I've read storylines of women who write prisoners in prison. And some of these women are obsessed. Like, you know, I'm going to use these people as examples. They're not totally relevant, but they are. Like when the Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, came out on Netflix and them women was at him hard. Like these women were fucking obsessed with him. Like they had an addiction to men chopping motherfuckers up and eating their body parts. Okay, something's fucking wrong with you. You need a whole psychiatrist. And then you had, you know, um, the Charles Manson, you know, when he was around, yo, women were going crazy over these men. And I'd be like, what the fuck sick, twisted world are y'all in? Like, y'all find these men attractive. They out here killing motherfuckers, murdering motherfuckers, eating their body parts, eating their body parts. <laughs> I know, I don't know where that came from. But anyways, you guys, so you see what I'm saying? So there are women who have an obsession to men in prison as well. And then there are women who have an obsession with a certain type of men in prison. So that's not to be overlooked. These are conversations that, you know, we engage in, we have, because this is real life shit that's happening. But we want to highlight the other side of the prison dynamics, because not every person in prison is a bad person. They just made bad ass decisions that landed them there. And a lot of these men go in as young children. Um, teenagers, like their whole life is ruined because of some badass choices. And sometimes some of those badass choices, it's hard to come back from. You know, you have to rebuild your life. You have to rehabilitate yourself. We know the prison system is not set up for rehabilitation. Um, we know where it started from, where you think the prison system is supposed to be for some type of punishment which I will say is fair. If you did it, then you got to be accountable for that shit, but not to harsh degrees that the system has put out there, not to the degree of it's still enslaving you. You get what I'm saying? No, not to the degree where you're like, you're never going to fucking get out. You're going to die here. No, examine case by case what has happened. You get what I'm saying? Um, and even with some of these more sick, twisted cases, examine that shit too. Because a lot of them had a lot of fucked up shit done to them as children. And unfortunately, they didn't get the proper help. And they just ended up being fucked up individuals in the earth and doing all the sick, twisted shit that they were doing. And this is not to say one situation is better over the other. This is not to say that, you know, whether it's murder or robbery or drugs, that one is better over the other. No, it's not to say that. It's to simply say there is a reason for every fucking thing that somebody does. And I 
I feel like we need to investigate that. We need to put that on the table as well and not overlook that. You know what I mean? Um, look at why that 15-year-old boy picked up a gun or a knife and he killed somebody. You know, what was going on in his situation? You know what I mean? Why was he out here possibly robbing and stealing? You know, was there a poverty issue? You know, did he not have food at home? Was he not granted opportunities? Like, what was happening there? But sometimes the system overlooks that shit and they just automatically deem you as a fucked up person. And it's like, the it's like, fuck your life. And not to say that the person who took the life, if that was the case, was intentionally meaning to do that. That's just how the situation was. And the person was not in their right mindset at that time. Um, because most of these cases, there's a lot of shit going on psychologically. It's not always intentional. And this is not to be insensitive to any, you know, victims and their families, because I promise you, I've been on both sides of the table. Um, I know what that shit feels like to sit in a murder trial. I know what it's like to be on a witness stand. I know what it's like to be railroaded by the motherfucking DA. I know what that shit feels like. I promise you. I've been there. I've been a part of murder cases, rape cases, drug cases. I've been a part of raids, like you name it. My motherfucking ass was there. And I'm not saying the raid had anything to do with me, but unfortunately, you know, when activities going on and you have certain people in your homes, this is the shit that goes on. And that's why for me, no, I don't judge the lifestyle, but I don't support the lifestyle. Um, because it comes with a lot of shit. And it can come with loss of lives. It can come with tearing apart communities and families and homes and children. Um, so there is a level of compassion and empathy that I have there. But I I am going to stay transparent all the way through and say, no, not everyone in prison is a bad person. They just made badass decisions. And if they have served their time and they have rehabilitated themselves and shown themselves that they can come home and be good citizens, and do better and serve and give back however they can give back because you should give back um they should be granted the opportunity to do that their lives should not be railroaded but we know how the system goes and there are a lot of people who i know that are still in prison who were railroaded when they were younger and um they're still fighting for their freedom you know what i mean they're fighting for justice they're still doing what they have to do on their journey. They're still sticking it out. Um, so on that note, that does tie into the conversation. One of many conversations I will be having um, to talk about the prison relationship. You know, should these individuals in prison not be granted to have connections to the outside world? Should they not be granted to have an experience of love, have someone in their life, you know, where they are to rebuild life, someone to help them, should they not be granted that? And I'm not saying help as in taking advantage of people because there's a lot of fuckery that comes with the other side of it too. But we're not going to get into that right now. I just wanted to highlight some of these things before I, you know, introduce the conversation because it all goes together. Um, so I truly appreciate and I salute the women who have the courage to share their stories, you know, and the transparency, you know, that they are open to sharing as well. 
Um, so again, if you are a listener and you have a loved one in prison and you want to come here, you are welcome to come and have the conversation and share your story. If you are seeking some type of resources, you know, we do the best we can to provide you with some resources to get some help. And if you are looking for, you know, a group space that is built on sisterhood, you know, where you could be supported and not judged, you know, Aaliyah does have a group. There are some other ones, but, um, you know, that's, that's, that's about solidarity. It's the energy of solidarity. I'm going to sum it up like that. Shit. <laughs> I'm getting a little tongue-tied. I've been talking all morning. But anyways, you guys, you know how we do here. So I appreciate you for being here. I appreciate you for listening in, sharing the podcast, and also utilizing your pro- your platforms for things like this. Be a voice for good. And, you know, community is not always about the environment you're in. Community is about people. It's about coming together. It's about unity and working together for change um, and rebuilding community. And that ties into relationships, too, because, you know, um, a lot of our black and brown men are in prison. And we know it was intentionally set like that to tear apart the black families, the black man, woman, and child. And it's, it's, you can feel the effects. <laughs> but, you know, those of us that are not afraid to use our platforms to talk about different things, especially topics and discussions and conversations like this, we're like, hey, we want to be a part of change. We are part of rebuilding um, our community relationships with each other. So I hope you all enjoy the interview with Miss Aaliyah. Um, and always give feedback. You know, all of her information will be connected where you can reach out to her. You can learn more about her group. And, you know, you guys can always reach out to me if you follow me on Instagram at underscore Lady Lotus 69. That is me. And, um, yeah, or you can email me at ladymohammed18 at gmail.com and let me know what your thoughts are. You know what I mean? Um, if you want to continue the conversation, if you want to come to a different platform, you know what I mean? We can always do that too. We're always about collaboration, not competition. And you know how I say we're not here for a long time, but inspired time. So on that note, enjoy the conversation i hope you know you get something inspirational from it and listen to it without judgment and understand that it could be you it could be your family member it could have been your situation because there's no such thing as saying i never 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 no it could have been but just be grateful that you know divine and the universe saw fit to say no that's not going to be your story, but it is somebody else's story. And we're not here to judge these women for their choices because we all have them. And we're not here to judge these, you know, people behind the wall because they are human beings. They still are human beings. And that's just where I'm going to leave that. And uh, you guys know I will definitely be back soon with another conversation. Matter of fact, join on Friday for. Uh, Sexy Fridays, we are going to talk about sexual sensitivities and a little bit of sexual healing for the body. So, Aaliyah, can you let us know a little bit about what you do and why you do uh, what you do? 
Okay. Um, yes, I'm the founder and CEO of Lockman Prison Wise. I started a group last year with my two other friends, Amber and Liz. We decided to make our own group due to how the other group's rules were going, and we didn't really agree with it. So we created our own group, and from there, I decided to use my TikTok platform to expand the group. And in less than five months, we had over four share whatever you have to share, stuff that you can't share with your family and friends. And even though it's a support group, we're still going to make our judgments on your situation just to help you better it, if that makes sense. So it's more of a sisterhood than a group, if anything, because the way I give ladies in the group advice is how I would give a friend that I know personally or my sister or my cousin. So the group was also a way to help me get through this, um, these last few years with my husband and um, to also just stay connected. And that's pretty much it. I like that um, because we do need those spaces. You know, um, me personally, I love spaces that are positive uplifting and they're empowering you know other women and you you come together like you said creating that sisterhood you know it's not right. just you know you come in here and it's this is that and i i've been in some prison quote-unquote wives girlfriend groups and <laughs> yeah i'm like you know yeah. what <laughs> it's time for me to exit the building because one thing, yeah. yeah, one thing I believe in is when it comes to the empowerment piece, you also got to connect resources with that. And a lot of these groups wouldn't allow you to come in and really help the women the way that you may have that ability and resource to help them. It would be like, oh, don't share that or you're blocked or you're getting kicked out of the group. And it's like, but these women are crying out for help. They're crying out for support. And if you think just giving them a bunch of words all the time and supporting them, that's not it. You know what I mean? A lot of these women were looking for resources like who who can I go to? I need a therapist, you know, or I'm having a crisis. You know what I mean? Some of them were in domestic violence situations. You know what I mean? Um, things were yeah. going on with their loved ones in prison. They needed to talk to somebody in their in their state or wherever they are. And a lot of these groups just would not allow you to help the women. And I was very disheartened by some of the things I would read, you know, like women would share how they started getting addicted to drugs and pills and they were losing their mind and they were going through a lot of different storms in their life. But it's like there are people in this space that I feel are led to this space not to take over your space, but they're here to add right. on and support to help you to help the women. You get what I'm saying? And I feel right. like that's what builds community. When we can come in together and we can support each other and say, hey, how can you add value here and help somebody here? You know, what do you do that if a woman needs this, you know what I mean? I could probably use you as a resource. I feel like that's what community really is about. When we create these yes. spaces on social media, it should be about resources, building that community, but also building that sisterhood. You know what I mean? Where you know you are supported and you're not you're not solely judged. You get what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, if you need advice and you, you open yourself up to the advice, the women are going to be honest with you. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah. Like you said, how you would be in your friendship, that's just who you are. You know what I mean? All around the board, you know? Yeah. Um, so I really, really, you know, love that you have created this space, you know, um, with your two other friends. And, you know, I've personally heard a little bit of you guys' story, you know, when you guys did your TikTok live. And it was really, really good. You know, people were interacting. The questions I felt were on point. And you guys, you know, were very transparent in what you felt comfortable with sharing. Um, so it's always a beautiful thing, um, you know, yes. when you do that. So let's start with how did you meet your husband? <laughs> oh, <laughs> if wow. you don't mind sharing. I met my husband in high school through one of my best friends named Nate. And my husband and Nate happened to be best friends, too. So we ended up all leaking together at, in, at this one high school in Riverside. And then from there, it just went from him inboxing me to me going to chill with him. I mean, we just, I don't know. We ended up growing a friendship, if that makes sense, first. And then I lost contact with him. Um, nine years later, he found me on Instagram, which I'm still trying to figure out how he found me on Instagram. Um, I don't know how that happened, but he found me on Instagram. He tried to inbox me several times, but I always used to ignore him. Until one day, I was going through a breakup for like two months. And then one day I was like, you know what? Let me just talk to him, see what he's talking about. And we end up playing iMessage games. And from there, it went to us rekindling that bond that we had in high school. It's like we left off, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. Was he so in prison when you guys reconnected or y'all reconnected before he yes. went to prison? My husband has been in prison since he was 17 years old. He's okay. 24 now. Okay. Wow. Yeah, he's been there so he's a while now. Been there for a minute. Okay. So how long have you guys been together from that point on since his incarceration? Um, we got back together April of last year. And then we got engaged the next month, so May. And then from there, we got married in November. Okay, so you guys are coming up on like a two-year combined type of marriage relationship dynamic. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Okay, and congratulations. <laughs> um, Thank you. And what made you decide to marry him while he was in prison? And I know that's a question I was personally asked myself too. And I like to ask that question to other women, you know, um, just to kind of see, you know, how, how, how other women feel about that. Because it, it has its ups and its downs. Um, honestly, when he asked me to marry him, I did say yes. Um, but from May all the way into November, as you can see, it took me time to even really sit and think, is this really what I want for the rest of my life? Because marriage and relationships, I always took serious. I've seen my grandparents, um, their marriage, they've been together since they was in middle school. So that's what I wanted, to just have a long-term marriage. So 
it took me a minute to actually think about it and realize that this is a person I want to be with through my flaws and everything, the yelling, the cussing, the um, healing that I was going through at the time. He was really patient with me. Like, he really took his time with me. Most men, they'll brush me off or they'll be like, okay, you're tripping, you're crazy. He was like, it's, it's okay. I could be your punching bag. I'm here for you, basically. And from there, I prayed about it. I asked for signs and I just let God guide me the rest of the way. And he guided me to my marriage. So here we are. Well, I like that. Um, I always say it's not so much about the location of where you get married because that's not marriage. Marriage is not in your rings, it's not in your location. It's really about what's at the core, heart, and soul, you know, in the spirit of the person, of the two people, because now you're, you're bringing your spiritual sides together. You're, you're connecting your energy into one another, you know what I mean? Um, and that's what starts to form all of those other outside dynamics, you know, around the, the marriage and the relationship in itself. Um, I know some people say, well, you should wait. Why won't you wait? You don't even know what's going to happen when he comes home. And you kind of sit. And sometimes you think about that. You'd be like, you know what? I kind of... I always took serious. I've seen my grandparents, um, their marriage. They've been together since they was in middle school. So that's what I wanted, to just have a long-term marriage. So... It took me a minute to actually think about it and realize that this is a person I want to be with through my flaws and everything, the yelling, the cussing, the um, healing that I was going through at the time. He was really patient with me. Like, he really took his time with me. Most men, they'll brush me off or they'll be like, okay, you're tripping, you're crazy. He was like, it's, it's okay. I could be your punching bag. I'm here for you, basically. And... From there, I prayed about it. I asked for signs, and I just let God guide me the rest of the way, and he guided me to my marriage. So here we are. Well, I like that. Um, I always say it's not so much about the location of where you get married, because that's not marriage. Marriage is not in your rings. It's not in your location. It's really about what's at the core heart and soul you know in the spirit of the person of the two people because now you're you're bringing your spiritual sides together you're you're connecting your energy into one another you know what i mean um and that's what starts to form all of those other outside dynamics you know around the the marriage and the relationship in itself um i know some people say well you should wait why won't you wait? You don't even know what's going to happen when he comes home. And you kind of sit. And sometimes you think about that. You'd be like, you know what? I kind of wonder. But then <laughs> you kind of go back and you're like, you know what? No, I like you said, I feel confident with my decision. I'm at peace with my decision. You know what I mean? Um, it's like if you really, truly care, love for someone, and you know that that's going to be a life partner for you, you know what I mean? It's like, does it really matter? You know what I mean? So we got up where they take the pictures at. We stood right there. We held each other's hands. The pastor stood like right in front of us. And like the whole time he was just holding my hand because I was shaking. I was so nervous. And I could tell he was nervous. But as a man, he was trying to be strong for me. 
So um, he was holding my hand. We was able to kiss. We took pictures. Um, and the prison that he's at, if you get married, you get to stay the whole visit. They don't kick you out at all. So that was the good thing about it. But, yeah, that's just what our setting was like. It was like in the visiting room, the CEO's booth is still right here. You still got everybody coming in for visits. So, yeah. Okay. Um, without giving away the the name of the facility, what what state? I know you said you're you're moving around. What state would he be in versus where you're at? My husband is in California, and okay. right now I'm in Texas. Okay, okay. I've heard a a lot about the the California uh, prison systems. I'm actually a part of an organization that's out of California that works with the prison systems there and they do a lot of amazing work. Um, I know a lot of uh, women who have loved ones in those prisons, but I can say California is, is doing a lot with their prison system, like to change a lot of their laws. So that's one of the yeah. things I will definitely give to California. You know, um, I'm in Massachusetts. So here in Massachusetts, they still got a lot of work to do. Um, when it comes to their criminal justice reform and things like that. But California is definitely on it. You know, I, I really love and appreciate the work that the women do in the different, you know, um, combined organizations out there. Um, yes, and that's what I like about my husband, Kristen. Um, we have a group called IFC. It stands for Inmate Family Council. And basically... Is um, a lady from each yard. We have four yards, and each lady is married to um, one of the persons in there or whatever. So whenever we need help or whenever we can't get um, our point across to the guards, we talk to the IFC, and they go to the prison. They sit down with the warden and the other COs, and then they tell them, like, we need this or you guys need to do this to better this. And then next thing you know, they come back with good news. Like, okay, guys, we got this for you. We got this. Your loved ones, we able to do this. And I really appreciate that a lot because most people, they do not care about what goes on inside that prison. And when we try to defend ourselves or when we try to stand up for our husband, it's kind of hard because it's only just one person. But it's better when you have an army behind you. Absolutely. Do y'all get conjugal visits at that facility? Do you yes, have to we do. Get approved for them. Um, you have to be married, or you have to be a family member, and you have to be on the approved visiting list. Okay. Have you guys had been able to have those type of visits? Due to my husband um, <laughs> getting um, a violation, um, our conjugal visits—well, we call them family visits—have been mm -hmm. pushed back to September two thousand and twenty-four. So we can't get a family visit into them, but we can still get in-person visits and video visits. Okay. Ooh, child, when they start banning those visits, <laughs> I mean, especially those type of visits, because we don't have them here in Massachusetts. Um, Massachusetts just doesn't feel like it's a need for that here. But in other states, women I know who get those visits, um, you know, not just for the, the intimate parts of it, you know, when it comes to, because people think about, oh, you getting all that sex in it. Let's let's bring this back, because it's not all in that. You get what I'm saying, you know. And and this is a stigma as well. Um, 
you know, I'm going to get to that a little more later, but it's a stick. Each lady is married to um, one of the persons in there or whatever. So whenever we need help or whenever we can get um, our point across to the guards, we talk to the IFC and they go to the prison. They sit down with the warden and the other COs and then they tell them, like, we need this or you guys need to do this to better this. And then next thing you know, they come back with good news. Like, okay, guys, we got this for you. We got this. Your loved ones will be able to do this. And I really appreciate that a lot because most people, they do not care about what goes on inside that prison. And when we try to defend ourselves or when we try to stand up for our husband, it's kind of hard because it's only just one person. But it's better when you have an army behind you. Absolutely. Do y'all get conjugal visits at that facility? Do you yes, we do. Get approved for them. Um, you have to be married, or you have to be a family member, and you have to be on the approved visiting list. Okay. Have you guys had been able to have those type of visits? Due to my husband um, <laughs> getting um, a violation, um, our conjugal visits—well, we call them family visits—have been mm -hmm. pushed back to September two thousand and twenty-four. So we can't get a family visit into them, but we can still get in-person visits and video visits. Okay. Ooh, child, when they start banning those visits, <laughs> I mean, especially those type of visits, because we don't have them here in Massachusetts. Um, Massachusetts just doesn't feel like it's a need for that here. But in other states, women I know who get those visits, um, you know, not just for the, the intimate parts of it, you know, when it comes to, because people think about, oh, you getting all that sex in it. Let's let's bring this back, because it's not all in that. You get what I'm saying, you know. And and this is a stigma as well. Um, you know, I'm gonna get to that a little more later, but it's a stigma. You know what I mean? You automatically think that oh, because you get these family visits, it's like it's all about sex. It's all no, it's not all about that. You know what I mean? Oh. I feel like this is more of a special type of bond. Because trust me, if we could get those in Massachusetts, I think a lot of these men would be a little more calm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you think about the behaviors that they talk about with men in prison, give them what is naturally due to them. And you will see a big change. I think everything will run smooth for everybody. You get to go to work and have a good day. They get to have a good day. Everybody's having a good ass day because you're meeting each other in the middle. But we know how the system is set up. So a lot of them will not ever budge and, and do that. Um, but um, that's true. You know, I know women go crazy when they get those visits barred. They they don't know what to do with themselves. They be like, listen, um, I need to see him. I, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I miss him. So I got to see him. I get that part. You know what I mean? Um, but then, you know, you tell them, like, I need you to fall back because then you added on to the problem here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yes. I When we found out that we couldn't get visits because we thought, like, oh, yeah, we got married. We can have our visits now. So when we, we found out we couldn't get visits, he got on the phone. He was like, man. <laughs> I was like, what? He was like, can't even get visits. I'm thinking he's joking. Whole time he was so serious and he thought I was gonna leave him because of that, but it wasn't even that serious to leave him behind that. So Absolutely. I told him, You just gotta promise me that you're not gonna do what you did anymore and really just focus on doing your time, getting out and getting time served. 
Absolutely. And ever since then, he stays out the way. He goes to school. He do what he have to do. He's not doing the whole game banging stuff. And if he does, I have no um, knowledge about it. Like he doesn't do it around me. Absolutely. But he has changed. Like if you stay on their um, case about stuff and they really love you, they're gonna change. They're gonna do whatever it takes to make you happy and to make the situation better. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, it's kind of like you got to rehabilitate yourself because a lot of these uh, prisons don't have rehabilitation programs. They're not built for rehabilitation, first of all. So it's like you got to right. work on yourself every single day and get the support you need, tap into whatever you need um, so you can have a better life when you return back into the community. You know, because when we talk about community safety, you also got to add in the rehabilitation piece. You know what I mean? And what services do you offer them after they come home? You know what I mean? So right. all of that plays a part in them becoming, you know, safe citizens to the communities that just focus on doing your time, getting out and getting time served. Absolutely. And ever since then, he stays out the way. He goes to school. He do what he have to do. He's not doing the whole game banging stuff. And if he does, I have no um, knowledge about it. Like he doesn't do it around me. Absolutely. But he has changed. Like if you stay on their um, case about stuff and they really love you, they're gonna change. They're gonna do whatever it takes to make you happy and to make the situation better. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, it's kind of like you got to rehabilitate yourself because a lot of these uh, prisons don't have rehabilitation programs. They're not built for rehabilitation, first of all. So it's like you got to right. work on yourself every single day and get the support you need, tap into whatever you need um, so you can have a better life when you return back into the community. You know, because when we talk about community safety, you also got to add in the rehabilitation piece. You know what I mean? And what services do you offer them after they come home? You know what I mean? So right. all of that plays a part in them becoming, you know, safe citizens to the communities that they return back to. You know what I mean? Or wherever they go. Because not everyone comes out and goes right back to where they came from. They end up moving around in other places, which, you know, a lot of the men that I know that, you know, are home now and they were locked up. I'm like, you know what, maybe come home and, and uh, start your life in a, a different space. You know what I mean? Um, All right. And I don't know what's going on here. We having a little bit of technical issues today, but that's okay. I may have to log this oh. off and, and log us back in. <laughs> um, just to finish this off, I don't know why this did this today, but you know what? I don't, or I don't let the energy stop with what I'm needing to do. You know what I mean? Everything has a purpose. And I feel like these are the conversations that, you know, the enemy tries to block them out because they're going to help somebody. You know what I mean? Somebody's going to be inspired by it. But while we still here and have this inspired time, um, how much time left before you and your husband reconnect with each other? Um... If we're lucky and if God gives us the will, um, 2025, he will be out. Wow. But if okay. not, if he doesn't get approved, um, we have to wait until 2030. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I yeah. kind of have in my mind um, 
what what type of case scenario that 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 could be when you get that amount of time um in prison and um uh, yeah but um yeah hopefully that will god will answer that prayer because trust me i i understand that one right there um yeah. how does this affect you you know and do you have su support from your family and your friends how does this affect me um Okay, let me start with the support, and then we'll work on how it affects me after mm -hmm. that. Okay, the support, when I first got with my husband, I was thrilled about it. I was happy. I felt good. I felt good about myself. He helped me get out of a dark place, which was depression. So I thank him a lot for that. But when I had brought it to my friend's attention that this is who I'm dating, this is who I'm about to marry, they was not so supportive on that. And I really wish, like, back then, I would have just kicked them to the curb right then and there for even bringing the negative energy and the negative responses to me and my um, my love life. Because that wasn't a friend. That wasn't how a friend was supposed to support you. Um, when I brought it up to my friends, they was like, he's going to cheat on you. Um, he's going to leave you. You're really going to wait that time wait that long you really gonna do that like you're just wasting your time you could do better he's using me stuff like that so that's not what I wanted to hear and because of that I think that is the main reason why I delayed our marriage for so long and as far as my family I had kept it a secret until I got married but my grandfather used to be a correctional officer for the state of California so when I told him where my marriage license was coming from, the county and the city that I was in at the time, he put two and two together. He could name the prison that my husband was at. And he also could tell me, like, you got married to somebody in jail. And <laughs> that was like a lot of relief off my shoulder because um, my grandfather raised me. So I always wanted to get married and have kids first because um, that's how I was raised in the South get married, then have kids. So for him to tell me that, it was more of a relief than anything. And my family, I really love them because no matter the decisions that I make, whether they're bad or good or why would you do that, they're always going to support me. They're going to correct me in private, but they're going to always support me in my decisions. Um, how does this affect me? Um, just me mentally, emotionally, and sometimes financially affects me because my husband isn't here to, what do you call it? I don't have a shoulder to lean on physically. And a physical connection, it means way more than just the phone calls and the letters. Like, I really wish he was here. That would help me to keep going. And with the lockdown situation and not being able to talk to him, I think that's making it worse and is, um, it's really um, bringing on more depression. Like some days I'd be like, is it worth it? I start overthinking. It really affects my mental health more than anything. And I try not to put it on him. I try to, you know, stress him out about it because I know he's gonna start feeling bad, but he could already spot it on when I'm going through some stuff like that. And he just comforts me with his words and his voice. So, that's pretty much it. And um, 
the financial situation, um, I have to provide for me and my husband until he's able to get transferred um, in March, hopefully, and he's able to work and help me to, um, you know, to pay for some stuff. So for now, it's just me. I'm the provider. And it's really hard being a provider when I'm used to providing for myself. I don't have kids, so the fact that I have to provide for another man, it's kind of a toll on me, but somehow I get through it. I always get through it. Absolutely. Um, that's another part of the journey. You know, um, it doesn't matter if you have a intimate relationship or not. Family, too. You know, um, I hear that from a lot of families. You know, they, they're like the financial piece is a lot because some families are struggling. You know, they they don't have you know, all the financial means, you know, when you look at how much gas costs, or if you are somebody that travels between states, I've met, you know, women who they come all the way from another state to another state, and then you got to pay for hotel, car rental, gas, or wherever you're going to be at, you know what I mean? You, you tally all that up, and that is definitely... It's also the spiritual journey that you guys go through that makes it really beautiful and just passionate. It's a beautiful journey, honestly. Like the whole thing is is just beautiful, depending on how you take it. Okay. Now what about the other side of the intimacy? That they call it the creative <laughs> space where you gotta create the space and the mood and you know, they ask, how do you how are you sexually intimate with someone in prison? <laughs> Um, if you mm. want to touch it, everyone's different. You ain't got to go too deep, but well, I'm very open. I'm an open book. There's no secrets over here. So if you guys need the sauce, I got it for you. <laughs> um, me and my husband, we're still young, so we're gonna keep everything still young over here. Um, we have FaceTime, we have letters. Um, even on the phone, if the CEOs is listening, then baby, you just listening. <laughs> I'm not stopping nothing with my husband. My husband. I love it. I love it. I love it. And she summed it up in like a very elegant but direct way. Um, so with all of your experiences, what would be maybe one or two things that you would share with a woman who may be considering this type of relationship and journey and also with women who are already on this journey? Like, what what would be your two inspirations in both directions? Um, one would be don't listen to outsiders. That's, like, a big problem with um, people who come into prison um, relationships. They listen to the outsiders, and that really affects your relationship even if you go to a support group and you ask for advice, yes, they're going to be blunt. They're going to tell you the truth, but you're still your own person. And if you really love that person, how you say you love them, some things can be fixed. So my thing is don't listen to outsiders. Just, you know. And the second thing I would say is, um, Honestly, if you guys are spiritual or if you're not, I always say my relationship has three people in it. Three people only. Me, my husband, and God. That's what's keeping our relationship strong. 
Only three people are in are allowed in this relationship. Only three people are allowed to leave out of this relationship. And until then, nobody has to say so about what goes on with my marriage. That's beautiful. And is that for women who are considering the journey and women who are on the journey, you would say just keep outside people out? Yes. <laughs> keep outside people out. That's really the number one problem that I see is people listening to what outsiders have to say, like their family and their friends. They just need to listen to their self and trust their self because you never know you might be running into your soulmate and don't even know it but how are you going to know if you let people um run your relationship and just run every good man off or every good person off in your life absolutely every every part of your journey um serves a purpose and you meet people universally not always by happenstance but it's who you're supposed to meet for whatever the purpose is and staying focused on what that purpose reveals to both of you on the the journey um so no thank you for um sharing those two inspirational um gems right there and lastly as we're closing how can you be reached how can people reach you and do you have anything coming up how can they join your group or anything else you want to share um Um, as we close out I, i can be reached on tiktok at locked in underscore prison wife and i also have a facebook group called locked in prison wives um it should say Aaliyah jones on facebook and on tiktok you should see a mugshot of my husband on there um what i have coming up is i do have a business that i will be releasing for stationery if you want to send your husband some goodies some letters some cars and stuff i will be doing that soon and i will have something special going on for the prison wives and prison girlfriends also awesome thank you so much miss alia for your beautiful time